essentially we're doing um, asteroid observations uh, specifically for the Minor Planet Center, which is a NASA-funded organization that uh, houses everything that's basically NEO-related. And when I say NEO, I'm talking about asteroids and comets and anything near-Earth objects that were that are out there flying around. And and essentially, we're with a backyard telescope. Uh, my son and I are are you know taking visual observations of these things, and and by doing that, it's helping us to uh, um, to be able to calculate help help with the calculations of the orbits. I don't even know how asteroids came into to my mind, but it did because I was thinking, you know what? It's going to require, you know, some software that measures the orbits and that's computer related. And we got these really nice computers and we got a pretty decent telescope. I wonder if we can do this. Like I, it, it was kind of like, I wonder if we can do this kind of a thing. Mike Forslund, a.k.a. Asteroid Hunters, is in the house today telling us his story of how he, along with his son, use amateur equipment to make observations that contribute to professional astronomer databases. This is a new frontier in amateur astronomy and one that I'm excited for you to learn more about. So let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Man, I'm so excited about this one. I've been uh, watching the clock today to get into this because Mike, uh, first, welcome. Welcome. I guess you should start welcome, there. Welcome, Mike. Of, Thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> me, man. <laughs> instead of just yeah. overwhelm it with my excitement. But I love what you guys are doing. It's so unique and like everything about it, even the story of how you got into it. But uh, let's let's kick it over to you to just kind of describe at the, the base level what it is that your team is doing. Well, essentially, we're doing um, um, asteroid observations uh, specifically for the Minor Planet Center, which is a NASA-funded organization that uh, houses everything that's basically NEO-related. And when I say NEO, I'm talking about asteroids and comets and anything near-Earth objects that were that are out there flying around. And and essentially, we're with a backyard telescope. Uh, my son and I are are you know taking visual observations of these things, and and by doing that, it's helping us to. Uh, um, to be able to calculate help help with the calculations of the orbits so we can keep track of of these objects uh that they're that are flying out there around out there and as we know there's well there's millions of them and uh so essentially what we're doing is is just trying to get observations so we can so we can make you know figure out these orbits and and understand where these where these objects are going what you know and if they're gonna potentially cause any issues with uh with our planet essentially so that's what that's kind of what we're doing in a nutshell and how did you get started doing that? I mean, what, did you guys just, I mean, you do this with your son from your home, which is, I think, really cool. And w were you guys just sitting around going, hey, man, you know, I kind of like to measure asteroids. I think asteroids no, would be. A, no, would, no, you're on the wrong track. Tony, they were watching Armageddon in 1998. <laughs> oh, of course. 1998. Yeah, yeah. They heard that Aerosmith song fire up for exactly. the first time and it was done. Yeah. Oh, you're well, right. I keep forgetting it. what a cultural phenomenon that movie was yeah. and how it changed, how it changed the lives of so many people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Is well, that right? Funny, <laughs> well, it is, it's, it's exactly right. No, uh, I, I always tell people, yeah, people, people ask me, you all got your the, Bruce I mean, Willis t-shirt on right now, don't you? I know all the time I say, oh, I got Bruce on the, on the red phone here next to me. So we're all good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. People, I got Bruce right yeah. here. Number right here. The red no. phone. <laughs> You got you got to be sick of that joke, right? Oh, I, I I hear it at least once every couple of weeks. I mean, it's such a common thing. Uh, people go right to it. It's a funny deal. But so how did I we was. get started? Oh my gosh! So well, I mean, those of you that don't know, I mean, essentially a, a year and a half ago, my son and I were were setting up the telescope in the yard doing visual stuff. I mean, we were looking through an eyepiece. We had our Burnham Celestial handbooks out, and we were. We were looking. Through, I remember you know, those. those. I oh remember my gosh. those. I, yeah. I love those. I still books, have so. mine. Oh, they're so great. So I, I on my bookshelf. We, we would look through there and read, read through the pages and try to try to read what Burnham was writing and we'd say, oh, do we see that in the IP? So we we would sit out there and do that. Well, during that time, we're we're building these custom high end computers. <laughs> my son and I were doing that. And I don't even know how it how it came about. I just I started thinking to myself, man, 
I'd sure like to do something science-related. I've always wanted to do something science-related for the last probably 15 years of my life when it comes to astronomy. Uh, I've always just thought about it. And I don't even know how asteroids came into to my mind, but it did because I was thinking, you know what? It's going to require you know some software that measures the orbits, and that's computer-related. And we got these really nice computers, and we got a pretty decent telescope. I wonder if we can do this. Like, I, it, it was kind of like... I wonder if we can do this kind of a thing is, uh, you know, my son and I looked at each other and was like, well, let's see if we can do this. I mean, it, it, it just kind of was that, you know, and, and as we started going digging deeper, it's like, it's, it was very, it was very apparent quickly that this was going to be a difficult challenge because as we all do, you know, when we're looking for something, uh, to, to learn, we go right to the internet and we go right to YouTube and we start trying to research and, and there wasn't much. There was very little. And uh, so, so I, you know, with the little pieces I could find, we started kind of putting things together. And and uh, you know, we we started making submissions. And and it took a while because um, at the time the Minor Planet Center had a problem with uh, their data. They actually had a, a a data issue with their computers, and they were down for several months, which backlogged all the stuff. And it backlogged all the uh the observatory code stuff of of anybody submitting observations so we were making submissions so we weren't hearing anything back in the times like i didn't even know uh if what we were doing was correct you know so finally i get an email back and they're asking me about my coordinates my position and i had had the i just my my coordinates out in the out in the um driveway were slightly off from what google earth and what they were getting they were seeing so they they responded to me. It was like, oh my gosh, they responded, you know. And then it was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> don't encourage the, him. Yeah, by the way, your your observations aren't great. It's like what? So they told me, well, you're these 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 residuals, you know, is what they're talking about, uh, which is uh, which you know, I can I can discuss that here shortly. But but essentially, our we we just weren't accurate on what we were doing. So it's like, okay, back to the drawing board. So during that time. Uh, there was a gentleman uh, named David Rankin who had a YouTube channel who had posted some stuff about using astrometrica and measuring asteroids. And I just was like, this is how I roll, uh, as you guys probably know. Uh, when I want to figure something out, man, I just go right to the guy. So I went, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to email David. And I emailed David. I said, David, help us. This is what we're doing. And he says, he emailed back. He says, send me your images. I want to see what you got. So I sent him the images and he was so awesome, man. He, the next day he calls here, he emails me back. He goes, okay, here's what you're doing wrong. You need to, you know, get tighter focus. You need to bend. You need to use flats better. You adjust your flats. You know, about, so he starts giving me this laundry list of things and I was like, okay. So I start going down the laundry list and next thing you know, I start making submissions and then all of a sudden, boom, we get our official observatory code from the minor planet center. We're an official uh, observatory and uh, we're off to the races. And uh, it was really a thanks to, to David Rankin who uh, who helped us to try to figure this stuff out. And that's kind of been the premise of a lot of these things. You know, we start going down this road and it's like, well, I got to find the guy that's going to help me, you know? <laughs> so, so here we are, you know? So they had a threshold, the Minor Planet Center did, of the uh, quality of the data they needed before they could even use it right and and you weren't there yet until you talked with david and so then you were able to get the data to the point where it needed to be exactly and that's what it okay. was and and when i talk about let me i talk about these these residual things so i mean i can sum it up in this this format is that i tell people this you're you're going to throw a dart at a dartboard but that dartboard's going to be five football fields away i'm going to hit that i'm going to hit that target i'm going to hit the center of that but how close to the center of that am I going to be? I'm going to throw that dart. When I walk up to it, you're going to see how slightly off you are. And and basically, when you're talking about residuals, it's kind of the accuracy of your measurements. So, um, you know, the the threshold is you need to be within two um, two arc seconds of it. So we were slightly out of that. We were two, three arc seconds. Well, part of that had to do with with uh, my focus wasn't quite tight enough, or I didn't have the, my flats weren't quite good enough uh, to get proper plate solves in, in certain ways. So there's a lot of elements that were in that that we had to do, but essentially it's like, we're going to throw that dart. How close are we going to get? How accurate are we going to get as far as what we're seeing? And that's, that's kind of the sum up the residual thing, you know, uh, of what you have, how close you are to that, to that center, center target. And what role does the, uh, atmosphere play in that? Because that's going to have an effect too. your focus can only get so good if you've got 
certain kinds of seeing that night. So do you only make observations at certain when you have certain kinds of seeing or do you just go yeah, for it? Yeah, no how is what the now? seeing? You're in LA. How is the seeing out there? Yeah, how do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, 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 yeah, it absolutely plays a part in it. Uh, all the all the factors that that play a part in in imaging, just doing imaging or even observations, uh, all play a part in it. atmospheric disturbance, uh, light pollution, signal to noise ratio, what your cameras can do. So um, how's the scene? Well, we're in we're in actually Bortle uh, five skies. Uh, we're just kind of on the threshold of Bortle five and Bortle four. I'm about 40 miles north of Los Angeles. So um, so it starts to get a little more transparent out here. We're you know, we're, we're heading you're heading up towards the the as Dustin knows, the the um, uh, what's it called? The um, we're by Fraser Park. You start heading up towards Mount Pinos. You know, the we're not up that far, but you, we're kind of you know, that's just slightly north of us. So it starts to get a little darker where we're at. So some of our seeing is is not horrendous. And, you know, one thing we battle with here is we get Santa Ana wind conditions. So you get a lot of you get a lot of offshore flow. But for the most part, some of it's pretty stable uh, where we're at. Uh, we're kind of on the edge of this desert where we live, um, you know, and it, it tends to be a little bit more stable uh, out here. So it's it's actually not too, too bad. But do I pick a night? No, we go for it every time. Um, so what I've what I've learned to do though is is that you know you start to pick and choose some of your measurements. So you'll take an observation and I'll look at it against. Uh, you can always look at your observations in the software against other observations from around the world and see see how you're measuring up. And sometimes you know uh, th there's factors like you know background stars. Um, if you're uh, if you're measuring an object that's moving. At a high rate of speed, and it goes in front of a background star, it can affect your uh, your measurement uh, if there's something there. So uh, there's also obviously the speed of the object based on your exposure time. Uh, that plays a factor. Uh, knowing knowing your um, pixel ratio for your camera plays a factor because you need to know well based on this asteroid's uh, rate of speed. Uh, if I take an exposure this long, is it going to leave? Is it going to actually leave a trail? Is it going to start trailing in my image or is it going to be a solid dot that I can measure? Because if it trails, then your measurements won't be good. So you, so you need to know your pixel ratio size of your camera based on you know certain objects, certain speeds. Obviously, their magnitude of, of how bright they are plays a big factor as well. So, so you know, for us, I mean, we've progressed, as, as you know, we started with an 8-inch telescope. Uh, now, big thing is for us, we also shoot uh, super fast F2. We used the Hyperstar for a long time and shot F2. We're now obviously in the Raza category, but but speed is everything because you want to capture as much light as you can in the short and have those exposures be as short as they can. Um, I try to tell people this very much like if you're if you're a photographer and you're out shooting Yosemite and you're going to have these nice long exposures because you know, your, your images tend to be still, you're not going to use the same exposure uh, times if you're going to go shoot the Indianapolis 500. Okay. You got race cars speeding by you, sporting events. Those guys shoot at very, very high shutter speeds, very fast. Why? Because there's moving objects. These objects are within our solar system. They're not hundreds of millions of light years away. Like, you know, when we do a deep sky image, we're looking at a lot of times we're looking at something that's hundreds of millions or tens of millions of light years. No, we're talking about miles. OK, because these things are within our solar system. Now, they're they could be hundreds of millions of miles away, but they're still within our vicinity and they're moving at a high rate of speed. So you want to be able to capture as much light as you can um, with the shortest exposure you can. So we we shoot with very high astrographs. Uh, high high speed astrographs, and that's what all the big sky surveys, the the atlases, the the um, Catalina sky surveys, the pan stars, they all have these very uh, very fast. Uh, again, capture as much light as you can, very short exposures. They're running a lot of them running thirty second exposures, but they can get down to twenty two magnitude with a thirty second exposure based on their cameras that they have, and of course their position of where their their telescopes are located, which are in some of the best places in the world to to be able to make observations. There are two things, two things about this, this story. I think it's fascinating. 
love talking to you. Um, and, and we talk a lot about this stuff. I mean, obviously we'll get into the equipment story, what you're using, cause it's absolutely incredible. And I think for, for gear junkies like us, it's like part of the fun is watching this incredible equipment do its job. But I think the most fascinating thing about your story was that, um, you know, only a year and a half ago, you have all of these advanced computers and everything. And you're, you're a computer guy at heart. You really are. You have all this stuff in a year and a half ago, you're standing out in the yard with a paper sky chart. <laughs> you've got, you've oh, got yeah. all the information about the universe in your pocket connected to Wi-Fi where you can grab it all and you're standing out in the yard with a paper star chart. It's fascinating. Fascinating to me. But, uh, you know, w- one of the things that I feel like immediate, I immediately connected with that you guys are doing is that you haven't been doing this that long and you just went in and went all in very quickly. And I love that approach about things, just getting after it. If you're going to do it, if this is going to be your passion, just get after it and go for it. And that was part of the deciding factor for us. And when we were deciding equipment, you know, we talked about it for weeks. It's like, well, what, what equipment are we going to use because of the limitations of LA and light pollution and all this stuff. But when we finally just said, let's just go for it. Let's just give them the best of the best stuff for this and go for it. It was entirely because we're like, look, you're you're getting after it in no time at all. You're aggressively pursuing this passion. You're sharing it in every avenue you possibly can. And um, I mean, look at what's already happening. You want to describe the equipment you're using? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, we've definitely progressed. <laughs> and, and all the instruments we have, have have all been fantastic. But but we're definitely in a new category. So we're we've gone from a, from eight, an eleven, and a fourteen edge, all with Hyperstar, to a Raza fourteen now. Uh, Raza thirty six is really really the, the correct term. Uh, the thirty six cm instead of the fourteen is what they refer to it. But uh, uh, this instrument is is very rare, uh, as many of you know, as far as as far as who has them. Uh, but yeah, so we're using that. And then we've we've gone from a ZWO 1600 uh, camera and a monochrome. We shoot all monochrome, obviously. Um, uh, we want to capture the most light we can. Uh, we're not we're not concerned about color at all. But uh, obviously, the monochromes work the most efficient. Uh, we've gone from a, a ZW 1600 to a QHY 600 uh, Pro that's, uh, you know, 60 megapixel, uh, super high resolution um, camera. So it's 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 been a tremendous jump for us. And, and the big thing is, is, you know, now we have a system that's, that's paired so well together. Um, there's no limitations for us. They, our only limiting factor is now our location, uh, is pretty much where we're at is, is that. So our, we're not hindered by any, by any stretch with our equipment, uh, by that now, you know, yes, you being a computer guy makes, makes all the difference because now we're running 60 megapixel and really, really, sizable files uh that we that we're running now that we never had before <laughs> so i mean a, a a 60 second exposure at 60 megapixels is 150 megabytes for one for one exposure so now we you know you can bin and get it down to 30 30 which is manageable but but you're talking about we were using eight megapixels or eight megabytes per file so um so having these these computers that my son and i've been building which are which are very high end, you know. Right now, we're kind of we're kind of in the Ryzen line of of computers. These really high end uh, processors, and and I have really high end graphics cards as well. Um, so lots of memory, sixty four gigs of RAM on one of my machines. So lots of memory on these machines, and uh, but you have to because the data just comes it just comes in and, and it's big, you know. Yeah, um, your also, rate especially. Yeah, rate. So and I and I yeah I've been I've been fortunate because in I I have. As many of you know, I'm I'm actually an audio post production guy. I have a studio, full studio um, at my house here, and with that, we actually have uh, RAID systems for backups. So I have several RAID systems that I use to backup. So I'm I'm able to backup a lot of these files and a lot of these kinds of things with with our equipment that we have. So so yes, we are we are ahead of the game. We have been ahead of the game, and 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 it's been great because getting a a camera like that, plugging it in. It's like, I don't have to think about the computer handling it. It just handles it. It just That's does the piece it. that people miss you know? too. You know, we've yes, talked about that before, but like people think, oh, I'm going to go buy the mount. I'm going to buy the camera. I'm going to buy the telescope. But the piece they forget is, do you have a computer that can handle this, this high-end equipment? Because 60 megapixels is no joke. 
and uh, you know you're going to set your normal laptop on fire. <laughs> well, I I, I got to tell you here, you know, funny funny thing is is I have this high all this high end stuff inside of our uh, our control our control center, which is our garage. Uh, we have our our observatory that we built in our backyard. I actually, when I got that camera, I took my laptop out there and I, and I was hooking it up and getting things lined up. My laptop was just choking all over it. So I, what I ended up doing, I built a machine for the observatory. And what did I build? I built a high-end Ryzen system with 32 gigs of RAM and blah, 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 because I don't want to mess around. (laughs) Yeah. So, so we have a really high-end system out there now too, that if I got to plug the telescope into, you have to, but, but again, it's, it's what you have to do. And, and now the new, the new, work that we'll we'll probably talk about here in, in a bit uh, the new stuff we're doing really plays a part in the the computer systems we're doing because we've we're advancing into sky surveys now and doing things that we never did before so it's it's pretty incredible well you and i are shooting the same camera but we're shooting them in opposite ways you know for me i still the files are big but i'm only getting one file every 30 minutes you know, in 30 minutes, I mean, look at how many files you have when you're taking 30 second exposures. I mean, it's just back to back to back. That computer is just getting worked, you know, where's mine every 30 minutes. Sure. It has to, it has to bring in a file, but, um, you know, that's another 30 minutes before the next one comes in for, you know, these really long exposures. And so, yeah. And even that is challenging in the observatories, but, um, yeah, man, it, it's, it really is one of the missing pieces that I think a lot of people don't think about is, especially if you're going to be doing work like yours, where you're just, you know, you're going to be doing back to back exposures that you may end up having to bend just in order to, which it's not a bad idea to anyway for this type of work, but you may end up having to just so that the computer doesn't choke trying to bring in all this data so quickly. We, we actually majority of the time do bend. Uh, we do uh, just to, to help to, to, for that purpose. Because uh, it definitely helps with the software process as well, and it makes it a lot more manageable. Uh, our the the images are still just phenomenal, and uh, and you know it 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 just helps in general with our exposure time as well. Uh, you want to we describe our exposure yeah. time as well? Yeah, I know? was going to say, can you tell what people what bit what that is for those who don't know what binning is? Uh, so, what do you mean by that? Well, we're basically uh, taking those pixel sizes instead of instead of like you got a big box, you're going to split that box now into even smaller pixels as well so uh and and what it allows you to do is even gather you can even gather more light with that in a in even a shorter amount of time so you're just taking those pixel size so what's the pixel size of a of our camera it's it's a three point uh three six three point three six or something so when we bend you're cutting that down in half so the pixel sizes are even smaller but you're double you're doubling kind of say you have say you have one pixel let's just say of one pixel when you bend you would you would basically double that into several pixels, you know, in there. So, but you're making the pixel smaller, but now you're even able to gather even more light. So, um, if if that makes sense, I, I'm hoping that that's kind now, of wait a minute. Yeah, isn't that it, the other way around? Because so, you well, it's you're it's combining pixels. Yeah, it's cutting because them in half. it's because their standard Tony is two by two. So that's why it sounds like it's backwards. So for them, bending down would be bending to one by one, which would be full resolution. You go right. to that 3.8 size, bending two by two for them. Obviously, two by two pixels, you're going to be four pixels into one. So the pixel size gets very large for their standard. It's a very large pixel. And then you could go, but what you're sacrificing is resolution, you know, right. but they don't need, they don't need 60 megapixels. So, so what? They get cut down to 15 megapixels. That's still... The, that's full resolution for my uh, observatory images is 16 megapixels. So they're still at ultra high resolution, even being at their standard of two by two with a megapixel, you know, compared to what um, most people would be doing with this sort of thing. They can even go four by four and still have a quality image and just have gigantic pixels. And all you're sacrificing is resolution. Well, and a lot of a lot of a majority of observatories that that are in this field been and and they've yeah. been a lot so it's it's a very common thing uh that you do even some of the big sky surveys will do the same things as well um so it's 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 like i said it's very it's very common and and yeah we don't yeah. we don't sacrifice anything as far as what we see i mean uh the the big thing is just the the um with that camera um the, the quantum efficiency the efficiency of the camera is so high 
you know, on there. It's it's like way higher than majority of those cameras that are out there. So the amount of light, you know, it's like when I say quantum efficiency, say you have, you know, 100% of your light coming in, your your camera's 80% quantum efficient. Well, it means it's capturing 80% of that 100% of light that's coming in, essentially. Right. You know, and th- so we're talking about really high efficiency cameras uh, as we get into this into this realm of of these upper end cameras, you know, and then that is, high. I mean, professional cameras still being used today. The majority of the observatories are like the sixteen eight hundred three. I mean, what is that? 54 percent QE, yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, so, yeah you know, in those ranges, sixty percent is is generally pretty good. Um, and you're talking 70, 80, you know, upper eighty percentile on a lot of these CMOS chips. So yeah, it's extremely high. Extremely yeah, now high. and now you put that you piggyback down on the back of a of a a fourteen inch you know seven hundred millimeter f two, then it's like okay, all of a sudden you know it's a different ball game. I mean, we as you guys know, we we also work with uh with our friends there at the Worldwide Variable Star Hunter team. They have a twenty four inch plane wave in Abu Dhabi. The other day, I'm I'm we're working on we were doing some asteroid stuff out there because they want to get their code. So we've been we've been doing some observations out there. I've been showing them what to do. And I and I'm laughing because I was looking at the images. They're awesome images that are coming in. But I sent them a I sent them a one sixty second exposure from the Raza and they fell out of their chair because the amount it's like oh, the amount of stars in the image was like, you know, quadruple what they're seeing. Uh, you know, they have yeah. that 16803 camera, but it, but it's just it's a different beast. It's like, well, we're shooting F2. We got a really wide field. It's a whole different ball game. You know, uh, every every instrument has its purpose. You know, there's things that that plane wave does that I can't even touch. So, oh, yeah, you'd never <laughs> you be know? able to separate nebulae and galaxies the way exactly. that can in yeah, that sharpness of details. Right. But as far as light gathering power, they, they're never going to touch what yours can do in a shorter period of time. I mean, you can fill exactly. a frame to the point where there's no space between stars anymore, you know, with, with a scope like that, you point it at the center of the Milky way, it will just be a wall of stars across the entire image. And I think yeah, that's absolutely. the beauty of those systems is how powerful they are on, on that front. You know? Yeah, for sure. So with respect, with respect to the binning then and the, and the exposure times that you're taking, what's most important, it sounds to me like with the kind of science you're doing is you're, you want enough signal on your chip to give you a decent astrometric solution, right? You care about position, astrometry, Absolutely. That's more right. than you care about signal. You just want enough to get that, that solution down, correct? That's exactly right. You're hitting the yeah. nail on the head. So, and, and yet you're, you're right. Cause sometimes that signal, that noise ratio varies and it, and it fluctuates depending on, I mean, I mean, my, one of my challenges, there's a lot of asteroids around the ecliptic as, as we know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, main belt asteroids that are flying around the same, same kinds of orbits that are out there. Well, when I point down towards the ecliptic, guess where I'm pointed at the Los Angeles skyline. So gotta love that. that's, that's where my lot, my, my, my highest light pollution is, you know, so I, so it's like, okay, so that plays a factor. Now, if I point cert, certain other spots, it's a lot darker and I do a lot better, but, but yeah, does that play a factor? Absolutely. So, um, so that's the, there are challenges with, within that, but, but I tell you what, with a, you know, with a 14 and, uh, with that, with that camera, I mean, I'm right. Basically my limiting magnitude in that area right now, we've discovered it's uh, 60 second exposure is just under 19. It's like 18.8 magnitude. Uh, in that, in there, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, if you ask me, (laughs) so, yeah, yeah. so we can do a lot of work, uh, with that for sure. You know, 18, 18th magnitude is amazing from anywhere underneath, uh, on the ground. It's just incredible. Um, so I'm trying to get, you want to explain magnitude to people, Tony? Oh, uh, it's just the, uh, it was well, actually a complicated scale. It's a logarithmic scale, but it, it's a measure of, it's a quantitative measure of flux of how much, how much brightness is hitting your detector. And there's this, uh, I think it's like minus 2.5 times log base 10 of, of some number that tells you what your magnitude is. It's by no means uh, intuitive. Uh, negative numbers are brighter than positive numbers. So uh, I think a star like Sirius or Vega is on order of uh, uh, one or minus one magnitude, something like that, um, visually. But then there's different ma- there's different visual scales as, or different magnitude scales as well. There's there's a photographic magnitude scale and a visual scale, and there's absolute magnitude and 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 uh, you know relative magnitude. So 
but for this purpose, magnitude 18 means that he's got a very, very dim thing that he's looking at. Um, like by comparison, the Hubble Space Telescope, yeah. yeah, the Hubble Space Telescope is limited to about magnitude 21, 22 in some of the galaxies. So we're on order of space telescopes, but it's nowhere, you know, there's, it's just still, because it's logarithmic, there's quite a bit of ways to go. But it's just a way of measuring brightness. And um, there is a numeric number that uh, corresponds to these magnitudes, what they mean. Mm -hmm. and, and that's from L.A. that you're seeing that. Yeah, that's that's right. That's, that makes it even more remarkable. That's um, what's so crazy. Yeah. I'm trying to get a sense of a, what an observation would look like. Um, you've, you, you do this with your son, and I which I want to talk about a little bit. Um, how do you guys decide what you're going to do, what you're going to look at that day, and what's give us a sense of an observing night for you? Well, essentially on the Minor Planets website, there's a uh, what's called an orbital planning aid. And you could go in there and type in, you know, kind of some parameters of your location. Uh, you can type in your length, say you're limiting like your your um, altitude and, and your your declination and those kinds of things. Say you have some mountains and you can only get down to a certain declination. So I can put some of those factors in there and I can also put in there. Um, you know, like, Hey, I don't want to see anything over magnitude 19. Let's just say that, you know, and then, and what it'll do. And then I, and, and what it'll do is it's going to give me a list and I'm, what I'm looking for is, um, every pretty much all the time. I mean, it changes daily. There's asteroids that need what's called, um, orbital improvement. And it'll, you know, there's, there's asteroids that have been discovered many years ago, uh, from 1994 on that, you know, come into our, come in around the sun and, and go out in their uh, orbits and they come back. When they come back, it's been many years later and, and they say, oh, we need to get, we need to look at these again so we can double check and see what their orbits are doing. And so in this orbital planning aid, it'll, it'll, I can pull up a list of asteroids that basically need orbital improvement. And I'll look at those and I'll go, okay, you know, um, that one looks kind of like uh, maybe a little too low in the sky for me. And I'll just kind of pick and choose some of the targets. Uh, what we'll do. And, and this is for follow-up observation. So this, there's, there's two factors that we're doing. We're doing follow-ups and then we're also, now we're, now we're getting into our sky surveys too. And I want to, I'd love to talk about that later too, because that's, that's something we're now doing. That's like a whole new ball game for us, which is amazing. So, but basically when we're talking about follow-up, we're talking about looking at ob objects that need orbital improvement. So within the list of the minor planet center, it gives me a list and then I'll just kind of pick and choose like, okay, uh, this, this target, you know what, this target, man, this thing's 15 magnitude. I can, I can capture this one with my eyes closed. So I'm just going to grab this one first and I'll, and I'll kind of make a list of some of them that are, I want them to be kind of a close proximity to each other. If I can, I don't want to be slewing all over the sky, meridian flipping and doing all this kind of things. We try to, we try to keep things within a certain realm. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll slew to these targets and essentially kind of depending on the motion of the asteroid, I'll look at it. I mean, if it's a really fast mover, then I might, you know, shorten the exposure time, but we tend to work around 30 to 60 seconds right now. It's kind of our average, uh, where we're at. Some of those can be less. Now, obviously if you shorten the exposure time, if you have a very dim object, like remember what I said, 60 seconds, we're only going to 18, eight. So if we're looking at an 18, eight and it's a really fast mover, uh, I might have a problem trying to do a long exposure on it. Why? Because it's going to trail across my, my image, uh, potentially. So, so you got to weigh these factors in. Um, a lot of them move at pretty relative speed that that you can you kind of can work between 30 and 60 seconds. And and I'll just start, you know, I'll do like I'll do 30 seconds, 60 second exposure for like 30 minutes, 20 minutes on an object. And uh, and then I'll throw it in, you know, right now. You'll keep been, taking you'll keep yeah, taking we'll movies keep, of it. You'll, I'll, I'll keep, keep taking right. images of it for like 20 right. minutes. OK, because what you want to do is you want to capture the motion. Right. Right. So and, and if you the longer you capture that. I mean, if you think about it, you say you say you capture an hour of this thing, you get the you get the, the motion of it at the top of the hour, you get the motion of it at the bottom of the hour, you get the motion of it at the end of the hour. Okay, now you have three observations. Well, I mean, the longer you capture it, the more measurements you get, the more of an understanding of that arc you're going to see. Right? You're going to understand that orbit even more. So the big thing is to have some gaps. Now, you know, cadence is everything, right? Because because you may have to go longer depending. Say the asteroid's a little farther out, or it's or it's pretty slow. <laughs> Say it moves pretty slow. Then it's like, you know what? I'm going to have to spend a lot more time looking at this thing because I need to see the motion. You got to remember, we're, we're measuring the motion of this thing. 
So that's right. As so measured we have against the see. background stars, that's right. Not necessarily what's in your frame at the time. You can move the telescope uh, against the background stars, so it's not just going to be going across your frame. It's actually yeah. you can keep you can keep the asteroid centered in your telescope and still get a good astrometric solution because the background stars will be changing. Yeah, and it, what what I'll do is I'll I'll go to the spot and I'll just track track that image and gen, track that area and and just I'll, I would actually take it like I'm taking a deep sky image where I just kind of sit in that spot. Now if I'm if I've got a fast mover, then obviously I have to move this telescope more and more and more as we go along. So now some of the mounts that are out there will actually track if you know if they know if we know what the actual motion is of this asteroid. There's there's uh um there's actual mounts out there that'll track that speed and stay on it. And then lock onto it uh, and stay onto it, and you can actually image the thing. And your background stars will be all will be all like lines and blurred out, but the tel but the asteroid will be a solid dot. Why? Because you're you're honed in on that. So so yeah, essentially we're there's some factors, but we we just kind of do that through the night, and then at the end of the night we submit all our data to the Minor Planet Center, and then and then we go to the next morning and and we we look at all the objects that we've set, and in the Minor Planet Center it shows the observations. Uh, of it and and we see if you know our names are usually in the list uh in there and, and we're <laughs> in the list of, that's our claim to fame and we're and our <laughs> names in the list of you know there's there's a lot of observatories around the world doing this i mean we're not alone by any stretch there's a lot of guys doing what we're doing uh you know so uh but the big thing for us right now is we're we want to we want to have as much data as we can because because the more data you have the more your name gets known the more the more the bigger you become and and we've 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 been very fortunate. I mean, uh, I want to shout out to to Peter at the Minor Planet Center, man. It's just been an amazing guy, and just it's he. I think he likes our story, <laughs> father son, yeah. and, and all the stuff yeah. we've gone through. He, I, I talk to people all the time, and I'm like, Peter responds, man. Like I'll send him an email, he'll respond, and he's been very responsive in us working on our uh, working on the 24 inch plane wave in Abu Dhabi, the, getting our observations going. I've been submitting some stuff to him and asking him some questions, and he just fires stuff back at me, and people go. He responds, people. It's really hard to get people at the Minor Planet Center to respond because they're very busy, right? They're very busy over there. They got a lot of data coming in nightly, you know, uh, from from think about the observatories around the world and the sky surveys that are sending them constant data, you know, of new objects and stuff. So to have the guys respond to us, it's, it's been pretty awesome, you know. So I, it's as we progress and we get more and more data coming out of our observatory, it's like now we get to be known. And there's publications that come out every month, I think is what it is in the, for the Minor Planet Center. And it'll show the observatory codes and it'll show the amount of data that's coming out of them. And, and when you look at the sky surveys, there's like pages and pages of data, you know, and, and then some, some observatories only have a little bit, you know, and so we're, we're, uh, we're definitely growing in that, especially now with the sky surveys that we're doing, uh, which is a whole new ball game for us as well. So. Okay, I, I want to definitely let you talk about that, but I just want to, before we leave this topic, I want to just ask you real quick about the processing, because when I was on your stream, uh, when you were doing this real time, uh, you take these images, 30 to 60 second exposures, you, you download them, and you were able to get a astrometric solution pretty quickly, and you, I think you went to Astro, was it Astro, 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 Astrometrica, Astrometrica is what we were using at the time. Yes. or something like that. And do you is there is the processing like the the um, uh, flat subtract the flat uh, correction and the dark subtraction all of that is that done um, on the fly? And how important is that step to get those? Because you were getting them pretty quick. You were getting the solutions pretty fast. Yeah. So uh, at that time, we we were shooting with uh, we were using um, well you. We use Maxim right now, but we were using like SharpCap as an, our, our imaging software. And and while I was imaging, I had flats and dark subtractions that were automatically going into the, you know, being applied to the image as they come in. So a lot of the software will allow you to. And yeah, you absolutely need flats to have a good uh, plate solve and to help with your measurements. It's a huge, huge thing. You absolutely need to run flats. Uh, super, super important. Do we use dark subtraction? Yes, we do. Have we always? No. Uh, but I, you know, the big thing is just getting rid of some of those hot pixels, uh, and some of the software, like the software you're using now, it, sometimes it could potentially track hot pixels on things, but for the most part, you know, 30 second, 60 second exposure, you know, I don't have a whole, whole tremendous amount of hot pixels running through those images, uh, too much, but we are using dark subtraction. So I, so I say, yes, it's, it is important to calibrate your your images you know so Do you take them um, every night uh, calibration images or just no you know once we, in a while? no every once in a while we basically i i have a set and and we run with them um i'll change them out in another 
month or two and and keep running with them so the big thing is the flats that's kind of the most important thing and you know um with our what was the what was the accuracy you said you needed how many arc seconds well you got to be under two arc seconds so you know we don't right now all our submissions everything is under 0.5 is majority we we try (laughs) to be that's where we're that's where we live so uh and that's that's you know the sky surveys are at you know (laughs) 0.01 So, so we, we just, we want to play with the big boys. We want to make sure that our, that we're not, we don't want to be submitting data that's going to cause, we don't want the orbit to, to not improve by us sending the data. We want it to (laughs) improve. Right. So, uh, you know, minor planet center says anything under two is acceptable. Yeah. Well, it's not, if you start looking at the the stuff, it's not really acceptable. Like 0.5 is really what you should be living because that's where everybody else is living. And if you're, if you're submitting stuff and it's there, you could be, you could be potentially, you know, not helping the orbit. Now, how did I learn that? Oh, I learned that early on because why? Because, <laughs> you know, as you guys know, our our reach around the world is growing tremendously. We have a huge following. We have thousands of followers on Instagram. Also, we had some guys from from France uh, that have an observatory out there and are really well known and started following us and uh and pointed some things out to us back in the day about some stuff and uh and it was like you know what i mean i was i'm so grateful i was i told my son i said i can't believe that we have guys around that have these observatories around the world that are like legit man that are like helping us i mean i'm blown away you know um so because we were we were submitting some data that was being accepted but it was like he was kind of like look man you're not really helping the solution on a couple of these things that you've done you know, for the most part, what you're doing is great, but you need to do this and this and this. Okay. Thank you. That's how yeah. it's been. That's how it's been from the day we started. This is is somebody going, Hey man, you need to do this and this. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 yeah, they not, weren't being tools about it. Were no, they? not I at mean, all. They're they being okay. awesome. Right. It was awesome. So it, it was, it was, you know, Tony's I mean, ready to it, get somebody. Was, oh, I know. Well, believe, <laughs> believe me, I look at it. There was, there was a moment where it was kind of like, wow, this guy's being a little harsh, but but at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? He's being helpful. And I'm just grateful that people are being helpful. So so yeah, I'm totally good. okay with that uh, because I will I will be the first. And I've Destin's for me says I am not the mo- the expert in the room. Uh, do we do this? Oh, absolutely. Are we gaining knowledge? Oh, 100 percent. But it's everybody else that's been helping us along the way. And I and I have the experts that that help. And I and I'm not I'm going to be the first guy that says when I have a problem. I'm reaching out to somebody that's that has a solution that knows what they're doing. I'm not, you know, I don't claim to be like, oh yeah, we figured this all out. No, man, Are you kidding me? This is this science is changing all the time, man, and uh, and uh, the equipment's changing, and you know, conditions change, and all kinds of stuff. So, um, so we've we've been we've been very successful and been very fortunate, but it's been because of the help from so many along the way that have helped us. You know, right? Well, that is so. a good story. What do you want to tell us about the Asteroid Hunters Sky Survey then? What do you guys so, doing yeah, with Sky So yeah, so now now with uh and it's and it's <laughs> because of this wonderful instrument that we have, this 14-inch Raza. So so through the through our our uh street live streams and our Facebook and our Instagrams and all this kind of stuff, we we actually uh were found by uh uh there's several sky surveys in Brazil, one uh, called Sonair. Uh, and, uh, and there's a gentleman named Leonardo who does work for them. He's got a backyard observatory like us. Uh, he started seeing us on Facebook and stuff and he started reaching out and, uh, he says, Hey man, you know, this is so great what you're doing. And this, we're part of the Sonair team. Sonair is basically one of the sky surveys in the Southern hemisphere down in Brazil. So as you know, there's not a tremendous amount of sky surveys in the, in the Southern hemisphere. A lot of them all happen up in the North. It's where all the big major players are. But uh, these guys, Sonair, they run actually Raza 11s and uh, and do a lot of discovery down there. It's uh, it's pretty amazing what they're doing. So um, but uh, they start reaching out to us and they said, you know, this the Leonardo, who just found a comet, by the way, he just discovered his first comet a few weeks ago. So awesome. Uh, but uh, he says, uh, hey, man, that that instrument you have, like stuff you guys are doing, you need to look at this, uh, the sky survey software called SkySift. And it's uh, from our friend Paulo and uh, this gentleman that uh, uh, Paulo basically was a gentleman that worked for Sky Surveys and uh, is really just really knowledgeable and has so much experience with all stuff and uh, does some work with the Minor Planet Center. Uh, Paulo Hol- Holversum, H-O-L-V-O-R-C-E-M is his name. And uh, but he has a, a huge amount of experience and has and has been writing this software for specifically for sky surveys 
And what the software does is it, you know, you, you collect, you basically do these mosaics of the sky. You're doing single exposures of these mosaics. And uh, what it does is it analyzes the data. You throw the data in there and, and it's looking for new objects. It looks for existing objects. It looks for any objects that maybe you have missed in your in there. So you you throw the data in, you hit a button, and it just it just goes and does it for you. Now you think, oh, okay, that's that's not too big of a deal. Oh, it's a big deal because it's very specific for your observatory. So there's parameters in there that he puts in for our observatory. So I have had Paulo basically remoting into my machine for the last two weeks, and uh, he's looking at data from us every single day, and he's making adjustments to how that data is analyzed based on our seeing conditions, based on uh, you know the way the camera's responding, all those kinds of things, and he makes tweaks. The sky survey's not not like you can't just go download this link. This is specialized uh, software uh, by this guy that that uh, uh, has developed it, and they they love what we're doing. And he was like, I want to, I want you guys to jump in the software. So so we're using the software, and essentially uh, we are doing these mosaics now, where you take let's let's say you take a you know based on our field of view. Like in SkyX, you can do mosaics based on your field of view. And you do like, say we do a five by four mosaic, which is like 16 fields right there. So we take a 60 second exposure of each of those 16 fields. Then we go back around and we do it again. Okay. And then we go back around and we do it again through that 16. Now, what that does is remember, you're looking, you want to have time in between those, those measurements, Frames right? Frames in a movie. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're looking from, from, from motion. So now you've created a cadence. So you've gone through and now you have and all you need is three exposures to stack because you're looking for three potential spots for an asteroid to move. So then what it does is is now you're covering a huge amount of of area in the sky and you've done a kind of a cadence through them. You throw that data in and it starts analyzing and it says, oh, here's where it gets real cool, guys, for the follow up stuff. So the other night, like I did a mosaic, right? I throw it in there and it says, hey, here's 50 asteroids that are known that you can, and the Minor Planet Center, anytime you have an asteroid in your field of view, they want you to report its position. Anytime, any, even if it doesn't need orbital improvement, it, it doesn't matter. They want you to report it. Sure, so I did a mosaic. Much, right. oh, yeah. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I have 50 targets. I mean, we've been, we've been going out and getting like six, seven, eight, ten, nine targets in a day. If you have a good night, it's like, hey, we did 10 targets. Like, that's awesome. No, man, I just did a 16 uh, field mosaic. I got 50 targets in there. And here's where it's really cool. Before, Tony, you saw us go and put it in Astrometrica and do all the stuff where you you measure it and it creates the file. Oh, no, man, SkySift. It says, here's your 50 known targets. Do you want to send these reports to the Minor Planet Center? Yeah. I hit <laughs> yes, one, please. <laughs> I hit one button, one button, and all 50 data points, gets, all 50 objects get sent, all the measurements, all the calculations sent in one button, done. Now, you sit there and go, oh, that's what's that? Like, that's that's what the sky surveys do. If you look that's at the right. sky surveys, they're getting yep. gobs of data every night. They're hitting one button. They're sending it to the Minor Planet Center. So now they remember do not when I want to be about, looking at images. They don't they want don't, to be yeah. going through that stuff. So no. remember when I and, and here's the thing. So then then what you also get a whole category of unidentified. So those you actually physically start going through and, and you'll have you know, you could have up to 10 per field. And it doesn't take long. You start looking through them and you're like, oh, no, that's noise. Oh, that's a star. Here's what's neat about what the software does is how he designed it. So when um, I didn't even know this. A lot of sky surveys back in the day would avoid places like the Milky Way because right. you have a huge amount of stars, right? And it becomes right. very difficult to see track objects in there. So what Apollo software does is it'll actually, what it does is it stacks those images and it subtracts the known stars. And then, and then it, anything that's motion in there, it leaves. So you have these images that are all, there's all these stars that have been subtracted completely out of the image. And then you're looking at any movement of potential motion. So what it allows us to do is now I can go into places like the Milky Way and try to potentially find objects. Now I'm told that the sky surveys are doing much more in there, but, but they tend to stay away from some of those areas. Uh, one of our challenges we have is now that we're in the sky survey world, is that I'm sitting in between three of the biggest sky surveys on the planet. I got I got uh, I got Catalina off to my you know my east. I got Panstars and I got Atlas off to my west, and I'm kind of in between them. How do I yeah. compete with finding new objects, right? So um, 
so it's, we we have strategies. We're look we're looking at certain places around the Milky Way. We're we're also going to start doing. You're looking um, where they don't. Where they don't. We're also going to yeah. do uh, shorter exposures and look for fast movers. They tend to sometimes they they don't capture fast movers as easily uh, because of because their strategy. So so now there's a whole strategy involved in how we're looking at the stars. So we, or the 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 you know the the sky and and how we're really trying to find brand new objects. And but the neat part is is as we're looking at the sky and we're trying to find brand new objects, we're capturing known objects and we're just like submitting that data. So remember when I talked about the Minor Planet Center's uh, you know, newsletter that comes out that shows all the data coming out of our out of the observatories? Well, now our our data plans are like quadrupled what they ever used to be, uh, the amount of data coming out. And it's and it's been really exciting. I told Dustin this the other day, I'll tell you it's you know, Paulo, who's who's very just been doing this for a long time, 25 years or something, and has seen everything under the sun and has and has discovered comets and has a lot of discoveries under his belt. He says, Mike, it's it's a real pleasure to work with with guys that have amazing, beautiful images as you do that. Raza 14 with that QHY 600, he made the comment like your images are gorgeous. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what, baby, that like, thank you. I mean, that's <laughs> to hear somebody say that it's like, OK, like it feels good. Like we're we're really on another level here that we weren't before. And uh, it's all thanks to Dustin and OPT. You know what I mean? So shout out to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We were happy to do it. We want these things to exist, you know, and um, it, there aren't many people doing this. Um, I think for one, people don't know they can, you know, and I, that's, that's one of the reasons that we're, we were so on board with, you know, setting you up with all the equipment and everything is it's just like, if you use these tools, to show people that this is something they can do, we believe that more people will be excited about this because, um, you know, it's not it's not like you've been doing this for thirty years. You know, you just you had an interest, you knew you wanted to do it, so you just jumped in and started doing it. And it's possible. It's possible. You don't have to have. I mean, what is your telescope is extremely expensive. The camera, you know, also very expensive. But you were doing it without that. You were doing it before you had this top end gear. Um, where you started with, you said an eight inch scope, right? Yeah. yeah. An eight we inch did. scope we and that's, eight inch with a hyperstar. Yeah. That's affordable. That's, that's something that you don't have to go all in on something, you know, it's going to be a system that's going to be the price of a vehicle for your backyard. It's like, just go in for with hobbyist equipment and you can still be extremely successful and have fun and do science, learn a lot, but actually contribute to the community and find things that have never been seen before you know, and, and just contribute to that, uh, that knowledge set that humanity has of what it is that is the universe around us. Right. I think it's amazing. man. Yeah. And it's people, people don't, I don't know if people understand like the power of, of like a, an SAT, like an eight inch edge or something. You literally have multiple telescopes in one in that it's like, mm -hmm. I could put right, a camera exactly. on the back of that thing, shoot a super high focal length and get right up on a planet and do some planetary work. Uh, I can put a hyperstar on it, shoot F2 wide field. Now I can do asteroid work. Uh, I can I can put, you know, a reducer on it if I want to. I can do supernovas. I mean, the and oh, I want to use it for visual. I'll put an eyepiece on it. Like th those telescopes, people don't got to know. I mean, they are so powerful in the amount of work that you can do uh, just just on a different, you know, many gamuts through that. It's uh uh, they're really neat. I I I, I tell, try to tell people like you got to understand how how amazing those instruments really are. Uh, it's not just one thing. It's like you could do many things with one instrument. It's uh, it's really really truly cool. And that's a, that's a huge portion of of the community that wants to just really, you know, they don't want to spend every single night hunting asteroids or they don't want to spend every single night doing planetary, but they just want to do everything. Like just enjoy all aspects of astronomy. Those super versatile scopes like the Edge HDs are a great way to do that. You know, your scope now, you obviously, you can't use visually because, you know, the camera's on the front of the scope. Your head would be blocking the telescope if you were looking through it. Um, but you don't need to because you've found your path and it's so specialized to just be the best tool for that specific job. But I do love the versatility of the other systems as well, especially for people that just want to test the waters with a lot of different things, of a lot of different aspects of astronomy to really see what is it that they enjoy, you know, which path can they get passionate about? Absolutely. Absolutely.
if there's one thing I, I hope that listeners of this episode come away with is this idea that there is a new realm in amateur astronomy that's opening up now because of the equipment advances, the detector advances, the optical uh, improvements that we've seen in all kinds of different things is that citizen science, real science is within your grasp now. You can go out and contribute to professional astronomical databases like, like Asteroid Hunters is doing. Uh, you can also, uh, and another thing that really piqued my interest uh, when you were asking the question, you know, I wonder if we could do this. Um, one of the, one of my questions was, I wonder what it would take to do, you know, planetary transit. So, you know, from the observations from places like TESS. And that's another opening now that exists that didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh, and that is something you can get involved in as an amateur with the kind of equipment that we're talking about, the eight-inch telescopes, the very versatile ones, not necessarily the specialized ones. And that is uh, extremely exciting uh, to be able to measure a planet as it goes across the sort of the, the front of a star uh, and get ideas about its size and its, you know, its orbit and all of these things are things that backyard astronomers can now do. So I hope that people listening to this realize just what a vast opening uh, amateur astronomy has now been faced with. We can now do all kinds of things that are just stunningly amazing. Yeah. Well, it, it was, we, 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 yeah, you're right. I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we, so we've even, we even have some supernova confirmations that we've done and we literally, mm -hmm. we did them. I did them with uh well, we had the 11 at the time with the uh, edge and Oh, thunderstorms back there. Hear them. Uh, yeah. but, uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, Welcome to Florida. What are, what are those? I'd never seen those before. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, guys, guys I mean, it, it, uh, you know, we do we, we work with uh, Econ Greg, you know, he's got his Raza 11. He does a lot of supernova stuff. These are all these are all backyard telescopes. And uh, we're working right out of the backyard doing these kinds of things. You're absolutely right. Uh, and this this so much has changed in the last 10 years. It's unbelievable what you can do now that you can do 10 years ago and uh, and and do it accurately. I mean, yeah. accurately, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I will, I'm sitting here. I'll tell you today, man, we, we could put ourselves up against any of the observatories around the world as far as our accuracy and feel confident about what we're, what we're given is, is correct. And, uh, and we're doing, doing a service, you know, and I believe uh, you, so I mean, that's, I feel, we yeah, feel great about it, you know, and it's taken absolutely. a while to get there, but we're here and it's, and it's been pretty much a lot of it just with consumer grade gear. You know, well, and I, and, and we, it is important, as you guys pointed out earlier in the podcast, you know, this the computing gear also made this happen. Right. You said you're yes. using Ryzen, Ryzen GPUs. I mean, GPUs and, and making these available to uh, the home uh, computing crowd is also what's enabled a lot of this because you're you're churning a lot of data through your system. And uh, that's also equally important. So I just want to give a mention. Yeah, that's to that true. As well. That's true. So. And, and and and, uh, you know. Uh, Dustin and I talk about it all the time. We laugh like people will spend people they'll spend thousands on their scope, but man, when it comes to the computer, they don't want to spend any money. Yeah, <laughs> any money, and yeah. you go, well, listen, man, you you want to image, you want to do these things, you got to invest in some of that, you know, and and uh, a lot of the software that's out there. But but I tell you, things like Astrometrica, uh, we use Tycho Tracker, which is a phenomenal phenomenal piece of software for uh does uh, actual observations our follow-up observations i use talk tyco these the software is like fifty dollars uh and we're we're submitting data through tyco that's fifty dollars you know and it and it works and there's but it was written by one of the a guy that has an observatory code that does this that does a lot of this stuff so a lot of these softwares were written by people that are doing what we're doing so we've it's it's not just somebody off this you know off this joe schmo over here that's like oh i just kind of do this like no these are guys so they're putting in specific things in the software that really makes it valuable. Uh, and some of these things like Tyco, especially utilizes the GPU power that we have. You know, I have a, I have a 2080 SuperCard in there and Tyco tracker utilizes that graphics card for processing. Uh, so, you know, when, when you have software like that, that utilize that, then yeah, absolutely. It's like, you want to, you want to have a good computer to, to chunk through it. The other, the other night on our uh, live stream on Twitch, I did a sky survey. I told the guys, okay, I'm going to show you sky sifts that I, took it and I threw it in there and we just sat back and it started chunking through the data. And in about 20 minutes, I had all my results and guys were making comments like, Oh, that would take me a week. You know, Oh, my computer right. would take, you know, four days. 
Well, you yeah, know? <laughs> you know what it is on yours, though, is you have that lighty up ram. That's what that's, I, that's right. My lighty up that, ram. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you've got that makes it different. <laughs> that lighty you've up. You've never seen his control Tony's, center, Tony's, guys. Tony loves my lighty up ram, our RGB <laughs> ram that we have on our, on our stream. You should what, see what? his control center, guys. Watch his stream. Watch his stream. You'll see what I'm talking about. Well, You'll see it, it. This is why we, my son and I looked at it like, okay, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of chasing, you know, lighted dots around the screen i don't know it's i mean guys like dustin that take these gorgeous images you know these beautiful mosaic du dustin's like mosaic man like here's my mosaic i'm like oh my gosh it's beautiful here's mine uh see that little white dot you know <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know I, how exciting is that but so so part of what we did in the stream was like hey let's make the stream look as good as it could be you know like let's yeah let's really make it look gorgeous so people get a a nice experience for it you know so so we've definitely gone a little bit over the top to uh to do it but but it's just how we it's how we are man it's how my son and i are it's like go big or go home like that's just how it's always been Absolutely. Us, you know yeah so. yeah you found a home there you found a home here with that that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> all right well so. tell people how they can catch your stuff let's say they're what well, they listen to this podcast but they don't know who you are tell people where they can see your stuff and how they can learn how to do this so yeah you can uh well we have our youtube channel asteroid hunters youtube channel and uh, we post videos up there uh but uh we also stream this stuff live on twitch uh twitch.tv slash asteroid underscore hunters and uh we're basically we stream uh from our channel every sunday night uh that's what we do around uh 8 30 pacific standard time here in uh, southern california uh, again, it's twitch.tv slash asteroid underscore hunters. We also are uh, streaming Wednesday night on the Clear Skies Network as we support right. our, our friends there at the Clear Skies Network. So we're there Wednesday and Thursdays are the time. We also have our uh, our Instagram feeds but uh, and uh, our Facebook page. But mainly, uh, you know, Twitch and YouTube is where we show all this stuff. But, but on Twitch, like we don't we don't hold anything back here, guys. What you see is us doing doing the work uh i don't i don't do anything but but we we go through and like we do it from start to finish there so uh i people get it's to see it to in real time no, it you is. know you get to you're, see it you know yeah you're giving people a, a leg up that you didn't have right you're showing people uh what you're doing and how you're doing it and what the tools are that you have and that that gets that's cuts that learning curve down by quite a bit well and that was part of the part of the you know when we when we started this too is when we started this one of the things we want to do was stream it so that's it's been a progression of trying to figure out, OK, how do we get a good camera angle on the telescope? How do we show the right thing on the screen? How do we and we've I mean, we spent hours trying to get this thing to where it's like, OK, you know, I have a stream deck in front of me that I can switch scenes and let people see, OK, here's here's the data coming in. Here's the telescope position. Oh, OK, here's the coordinates. Oh, here's here's it chunking. Here's it doing its thing. Here's the here's the results back, you know, so people get to see every aspect of it uh from start to finish oh here by the way now that i have the data i'm going to show you how i upload it to the minor planet center <laughs> you know right, it's exactly. one click yeah. you get to see it so i show that all that stuff to everybody we don't hold back and and sometimes like even the other night oh my gosh man i you know we were we were kind of messing around under the full moon and uh i thought i had a new object and uh i i tracked an object for a little bit and it just it disappeared on me and i to this day, I'm not sure. I got uh, Sam Dean on the on the line, and we were talking. But I I think there was some noise from the from the moon in there. But uh, uh, but people, we saw we we ran that stream for hours, and people were just sitting there like watching. Like, are we gonna are we gonna track a brand new object? You know. So so I tell people, you never know what's gonna happen. Like uh, you know, because at the end of the day, we're we're looking at this thing fresh fresh eyes at you know at that moment, and maybe we see a new object. You know, and if we do, we're gonna try to track it and continue working on it. So um, so. You know, people get to see the real time stuff happening as it goes down. You know, I love what you're doing, man. You need to write a book called "From Burnham's <laughs> to What uh, From Burnham's to Arasa." Right, <laughs> starting well, with Burnham's know, Celestial Handbook uh, and yeah, going all man. the way to where you are now. If you guys don't know what that is, you got to look it up. It's a it, it, now it's a three volume book, really old school. But if you've got a Mead audio star okay on your computer or on your telescope it's kind of like that it's basically an observer's notebook that you read about these things you know you read about these different objects from someone who's been observing it's like reading someone's observing log um that brought back memories when you brought that up i had to go uh, look and see mine on my special, shelf over man. here that guy yeah. was special and it's heartbreak, heartbreaking handbook. end to his life but man i tell you what those yeah those books are like i'm i'm such a fan and uh and you know people 
you have anybody that's anybody in astronomy should have those books. We actually, I have three sets. I have a set that's spiral bound. I bought a, I got a set and pulled all the backing off it and, and, and spiral bound all three. Why? Because when I'm sitting outside, I want the books to be flat and they're, the pages are flat. I don't want them to, to try to, if you have a book, you know, sometimes you open a book and then the page turns while you're looking at it. No, man, I right. spiral bound these. Why? Because when we're outside looking, I want the book to sit flat. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's how extreme we were doing it because yeah. you know, that was what you had to do to make it, to make it look right. But yeah, those, they're just, they're amazing books, man. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all your successes and all Thank the great you. work you're doing. Thank you. It's exciting to follow you and uh, watch your stream. So if you guys don't know about uh, Mike Forsland and Asteroid Hunters and his son, uh, definitely go out there and, and check him out. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. Dustin, did you want to add anything? Uh, no, I, I love working with you, Mike. So glad you're part of the OPT team. And, um, you know, I really look forward to seeing where this is going. I, it's only going up from here, obviously. And if you haven't already checked out, uh, Asteroid Hunters on Twitch, definitely do that. Clear Skies Network, come check it out. Um, you know, and that, that channel is growing quickly. I mean, we've got Neil deGrasse Tyson on there tomorrow. Uh, That's right. With, yeah. with Ron for his Space Fam show. And uh, yeah, it's only growing. So definitely come check out Clear Skies Network on Twitch. That's twitch.tv forward slash Clear Skies Network. And by the time this one airs, that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson episode will have already happened. But it does save them on Twitch for a period of time. So you can go back and check that out as well. But definitely come hang out with us there. And it's always a blast talking to you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah. Really appreciate all it, man. Right. Thanks for all the support, guys. Yeah, uh, Mike Forsland. He's Asteroid Hunters on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.